Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsaniego.com. Hey, welcome to the Light Church podcast. Um, this may be a little bit of a different podcast experience because our normal uh, message that we record on October 13th did not have adequate audio. So I am right now hanging out uh, in Big Bear in a room re-recording uh, the very first part of our Finding the Life of Your Love sermon on marriage. So uh, if you guys have a Bible or are taking notes or maybe you're just driving around, um, that's where we're going to be spending most of our time today. And for those of you guys who are looking at the title, okay, the sermon's about marriage, uh, I understand that there's some of you guys who are excited to learn about this uh, topic and this content. And there's probably other people here who are skeptical or maybe even hurt by the idea of marriage, whether that be uh, your own marriage experience or maybe the experience of your parents. And I wanted to just kind of lay before you the goal of what this is all about is that as we spend uh, this week and the following week talking about marriage, that we would be able to recapture God's vision for it. And I think by doing that, um, a lot of things will happen. My, my hope is that those of us who are married uh, would just have new life breathed into our marriage. Uh, for those of us who are not married but long to be at one point, that we'd have an accurate biblical view of God's heart towards marriage. And for those of us who have been wounded as a result um, of a, a broken um, or tired marriage, that there would be healing, even uh, listening to God's word and his heart uh, through this podcast. And uh, so before we begin, I'm just going to go ahead and pray, uh, and then we'll dive into the sermon. So Father, we thank you so much um, for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, to dive into your scriptures. God, that you do not leave us guessing when it comes to your heart for marriage, when it comes to your heart for relationships. And God, like we talked about last week, I pray that you would allow us to step into love. God, that the self-centeredness that resides within us would begin to be eliminated as we look towards the perfect example of love we find on the cross. And so, Lord, we ask for the next uh, few minutes, Lord Jesus, that you would just do a transforming work in our heart, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, what we're going to do as we begin is I'd love to chat with you guys uh, just about kind of the state of marriage and how we arrived today uh, on how we think about marriage, how we approach marriage. And uh, in order to do that, I think we have to go backwards. And going backwards, we can look at throughout history, especially kind of in primitive ancient cultures, marriage was essential uh, more than romantic. It was how we survived. It's how we lived out in community. And so in, in tribal cultures, this is not only would be how you would grow your tribe and you would make sure it survived, uh, but this is also how you would provide protection if you needed help. Um, on your farm in an agrarian culture, having children assured that you'd be able to have more crops, which would mean more um, success within that culture. And as culture moved on, it moved from kind of this essential into this kind of political socioeconomic role that, that tribes would, would marry uh, to create peace 
that people would marry to kind of get out of their own class system and to enter into a new one. When Christianity enters the scene, we see historically that the Catholic paradigm is that marriage is a sacrament of God's love. And then the, when the Protestant movement came around, we see that marriage is the primary vehicle for people to carry out God's mission. And probably maybe one of the most dramatic shifts that happened to marriage was the Enlightenment. Around the 18th and 19th century, we have this uh, pretty massive move philosophically, uh, psychologically. And when, as pertaining to marriage, we see this move from being this uh, cultural necessity to the primary driver uh, being romantic and one of individualistic fulfillment. And we see this in literature, we see this in plays, we see, we see this in art. And that has only progressed over the past hundred years through the Industrial Revolution and now the Technological Revolution, where relationships have moved so far from the idea of us and is now centered around the idea of me. Does this fulfill me? What does this make me feel? Uh, in the recent years, there was an article in the New York Times by a columnist named Tara Parker Pope, and she wrote an article called The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage, and I just wanted to read you an excerpt from, uh, from her writing. She says this, The notion that the best marriages are those that bring satisfaction to the individual may seem counterintuitive. After all, after all isn't marriage supposed to be about putting the relationship first? Not anymore. For centuries, marriage was viewed as an economic and social institution, and the emotional and intellectual needs of the spouse were secondary to the survival of the marriage itself. But in the modern relationships, people are looking for a partnership, and they want partners who make their lives more interesting. And I, I mean, I think Tara Parker Pope just nailed how we began to start thinking about marriage, which goes along really with our series of, of there is this... Uh, need within our cultural context to find the love of our life. Uh, and even within that, you can hear uh, kind of the egocentric idea behind that. This is about someone fulfilling me. But as we return to Scripture and Scripture's idea of marriage, again, our hope is that we would find the life of our love. Um, but looking at the reality currently of marriage, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot that's going on. Uh, the divorce rate has doubled since 1960. Uh, more than half of couples live together before they're married. This is a new phenomenon uh, that the world has really never seen before since the past by 50 years or so, and it is uh, rapidly increasing. And one of the reasonings behind this, some of them are obvious. One is people are waiting for financial stability before they get married. Uh, the average age now for a male to get married is 29 and a half, and the average age of a female is 27 and a half, which again is the latest throughout all of human history. Um, another big reason is that people are testing their emotional and sexual compatibility and uh, kind of the whole why would you buy a car before you test drive it approach. And, um, and then lastly, there's just a lack of trust in the institution of marriage um, throughout our culture. And so this has driven uh, higher rates of divorce, higher rates of cohabitation before people are married. And we think that we are solving a problem. Uh, but here's what's interesting. 
statistics would show us that this is actually false. The reality of marriage looks a little different. Here's just a few things that research has shown us about the reality of what marriage looks like right now. The truth is that more than um, if people cohabitate before they're married, they are twice as likely to end in divorce. It doesn't help you make a right decision. Um, And for those of you who are trying to become financially stable, what we found is that uh, married couples retire with 75% more wealth. So you staying single longer doesn't necessarily equate to more success or more wealth. 62% of current married couples say that they're happily married. So the whole stigma that people who are married are just in bondage, they don't enjoy it, um, is a myth. And a really interesting statistic is that two-thirds of marriages who um, would say that they are unhappy will become happy within five years. Uh, And and then also, lastly, just the common statistic that's thrown around that 50% of marriages will end in divorce, and that number is exactly the same in the church, um, is false. Recently, a study was done um, of not people who just kind of mark themselves as Christians, but specifically people who follow Jesus, and Jesus is centered to their life. The rate of divorce is not at 50%, but the success of, of those marriages lasting is upwards towards 70 to 80%. Uh, Tim Keller, who we will be quoting a lot, uh, because his book, The Meaning of Marriage, I believe is the, it's the best book out there. I'd highly encourage you just to um, hop on Amazon right now and purchase that. Uh, It says this, the pessimism of marriage comes from a new unrealistic idealism. And I think that's it. There's this unrealistic ideal that somehow there is this person who is my perfect puzzle piece, who will complement me and fulfill me. And once we enter into that marriage and realize the amount of service and sacrifice it takes, uh, we begin, begin to think that we made a wrong decision rather than adjusting us. And just seeing how we think about love and service. And so here we are. And let's, let's dive into what God says about marriage. And so over this uh, podcast and the following one, uh, we're going to be going over this analogy of a garden. And we're going to be talking about the garden of marriage. And so five things we're going to hit. Number one, uh, the soil of covenant, which is where, where we'll be spending all of our time at this podcast. Uh, number two, we'll talk about the roots of friendship. Number three, the branches of our unique roles that we play within marriage. Number four, the fruit of love. And number five, the fragrance of grace. Um, uh, But we will be spending this podcast really diving into this idea of covenant. Um, Covenant is an interesting word, and frankly, it's a foreign word. Not because it's a word we don't use, but frankly, it's a concept we don't understand. We really don't have any context for what covenant means in our society anymore. We have tons of contracts, tons of transactions, but they are built around the idea that if you fulfill your end of the bargain, I'll fulfill mine. Uh, Covenant is not that. Covenant is you're in, period. For better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, you are for that person. Uh, Probably the closest relationship we have in our modern day that comes to a covenant would be a parent-child relationship where no matter how little the child gives, the parent continues to give. And there's really no expectation in what that child brings, um, although we have hopes and desires. But what we see is that the parent continues to give and to give and to give. 
And that that's, again, probably our closest idea to what covenant is. But we have to understand that the idea of covenant that God brings about in Scripture does not begin between parents and children. It begins between a husband and a wife. Uh, I mean, we ask, let's just ask that question. Does, does that paper, that contract, really matter? And uh, whether you think it does or not, covenant definitely matters to the heart of God. And so for those of you who are unfamiliar with the idea of covenant within marriage, uh, let's go back to the beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, and let's read about this first marriage. It says, But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this is a, um, a really beautiful and uh, a picture of marriage that the Bible forms all of its theology, keeps referring back to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 1, as the forming idea behind what it thinks of marriage. And so I want us to think of it, this is a the strongest binding agreement that we have in relationships. And uh, one of the ways this is illustrated is that this binding, forceful, beautiful agreement all in our society has been pegged as something that's dangerous and oppressive. But I would like to appeal to you and say, actually, it's the opposite. When we have a relationship within that kind of container, it doesn't breed uh, oppression, it breeds freedom. And what I mean by that is that there are certain elements of relationship we will not participate in um, unless we feel safe enough. But we won't feel safe enough unless we feel that person is trusted. They're not going to leave us. Um, and in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the, the theme of sex. But you even think about sex within the confines of marriage uh, and within the confines of that covenant, where, again, our culture has says, oh, that's a primitive idea, um, it's oppressive, but understanding that sex is such a, a powerful, powerful thing that the Bible has such a high view of it that it says the only place that it's safe enough for that to take place is within covenant. Um, I heard one author say that sex is actually a covenant renewal service which makes sense if there are two people promised to each other, but can you imagine a covenant renewal service with someone that you barely met or someone you don't know you're going to be with next year or the next two years? It's Covenant is the safest incubation for love and a relationship that we know. Uh, Tim Keller says this, To be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be fully known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. I remember hearing that quote a few years ago, and it it radically shaped me. 
uh, the truth that was was in those words is that we our deepest desire is to be fully known and fully loved yet we just don't know if that's possible and it really isn't possible unless there is this secondary force that incubates the kind of safe environment for you to be fully known and then still be fully loved. Um, this is why God chooses covenant not just for the marriage between a husband and a wife. He chooses covenant to illustrate his relationship with us. Now, now get this. Jesus, as our groom, has promised himself to us, his church, his bride, through the relationship of covenant, meaning no matter what we do, uh, how, how off we are, how far we run, he's not going anywhere. And that creates this sense of safety that we can be fully known in the presence of God and yet fully loved. And that's God's desire for marriage. I think about my relationship with my, with my beautiful wife, Jen, and um, she knows me better than anyone. And, and that's not always the best thing. She's, she's seen me at my worst. She has seen me lose my temper and live in fear and be self-absorbed. And she still loves me. There, if, if our marriage was contractual, there would be ample evidence for her to reconsider the contract. But because our relationship is not contractual, it's covenantal. It means that I have a safety to be me. And it's within that safe space that she is able to love me, I'm able to love her. And that relationship, that covenant relationship, looks a lot like the Lord's. Uh, so to, to further clarify what covenant is, I just wanted to give you a few kind of sub-points behind what covenant is. Uh, number one, I want to talk about the, the sanctifying work of the marriage covenant. Uh, secondly, I want to talk about how covenant moves us from only being in love to just being love. Thirdly, I want to talk about how covenant actions lead to romantic and loving emotions. And lastly, I just want to talk about the great mystery of, of covenant. Uh, so as we dive into kind of these four sub-points, let's begin with this idea of the sanctifying work of the marriage covenant. Now, um, I want to read you a passage out of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is one of the most condensed, articulate passages in all of Scripture we have on marriage. And this is Paul uh, writing to a church in Ephesus, and he's critiquing kind of the common worldview of relationships, um, specifically that Aristotle wrote. Aristotle has had this thing written called the Household Codes, and he talks about uh, husbands and wives, uh, parents and children, slaves and masters. And Paul reflects on each one of these things in light of the gospel and flips it on its head. And he begins with marriage. And he, I also wanted to read this to you, Ephesians 5, uh, starting in verse 21. He says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, well, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now here's the part I want you to pay attention to. To make her holy, 
cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Um, I'm going to stop right there. There's more. I'd encourage you to go read it. But um, I, I've taught on this passage multiple times. Um, I taught on it last year. If you want to go back on the podcast, if you're interested in some of these words like submit and it kind of makes you cringe, go back and listen. But this this passage of verse 26 and 27, I've really never taught on because I never really understood it. But what we see right here is we see within the beauty of covenant this idea that there is this sanctifying work that's happening. So for us as the bride and Jesus as the groom, he's sanctifying or purifying, refining his bride um, to be standing in front of him. And within marriage, that same sanctifying work is happening uh, within us. And what I mean by that is this. When Jen and I, we've been married for 13 years, there is this opportunity we have to not just think about who we are to one another, but to think about each other as who we will be um, as when we stand before Jesus one day. So when I think about Jen, my, my concern is not how to make her most compatible for me. My concern is how will Jen, who will Jen be when she stands before Jesus one day? This begins this sanctifying work within the covenant. I begin to start, and we begin to start loving each other in such a way that moves us towards Christ's likeness because we know that's our eternal destination. And so rather than just us trying to be nice and kind, we continue to speak the truth in love. We continue to forgive. We continue to bear with one another because we know that that is forming within us the image of Christ that we are being, we are walking towards. And marriage, the covenant of marriage, is that sanctifying work that does that more than anything else in my life. Um, when Michelangelo was uh, uh, interviewed about kind of his his amazing statue of David that he sculpted out of marble. Uh, He was asked, how did you do it? Looking at the marble, how did you create David? Um, And he's quoted, Michelangelo's quoted is, I just looked into the marble and I removed the pieces that weren't David. Um, I I love that line because A, it just makes it sound so simple. Like, of course, Michelangelo, that's all you had to do. Uh, But secondly, I think it's I think that's a great picture of sanctification. We, I look at Jen, Jen looks at me, we look at our spouse, and we try and see not just who they are, but who has Christ said they are. What, what is that masterpiece that Jesus sees so easily? Not the sin and the shortcomings and the brokenness in the flesh. What is that beautiful God-given dignity, that renewed life that Christ has purchased? And how do we speak to that? How do we call off the lies and the deceit and the brokenness that we see as well and continue to step forward and wanting to see that uh, developed within our spouse? Uh, Second thing I want to talk about is that covenant moves us from only being in love uh, to being love. Um, This is a powerful thing that uh, covenant 
has within itself. Um, I, I remember when Jen and I uh, first started dating. I remember the very first time I held her hand. We were sitting at our apartment and we were watching the Motorcycle Diaries movie. And um, we just started dating. And I, my heart is pounding out of my chest because I look over and I see her hand just sitting there. And I'm like, oh, I want to hold her hand uh, so bad. The Beatles song's playing in my head. And I'm like, okay, here it goes. And I reach over and I hold her hand and I'm so afraid she's going to pull away. I'm going to be rejected. And she holds it back and it is like fireworks go off in my heart. I, I am just ecstatic and elated. I cannot believe I'm holding the hand of this beautiful woman I started dating. And uh, that has never happened again. <laughs> That, that same electric feeling of holding Jen's, I've held Jen's, Jen's hands thousands of times. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were in kind of the central coast of California, and we were driving down. It was late at night. Our four kids were asleep in the back of our van. And I look over, and there's her hand. And I reach over, and I, and I wrap up her hand, and I hold her hand that I'm so familiar with. And I begin to start thinking about what these hands represent. I begin to start thinking about that each that her hands have held each one of our four kids. I began to start thinking about what these hands have created through art and design. I started thinking about how these hands have been laid upon countless people just to be prayed over. And I realized in this moment that I enjoyed holding Jen's hand more then uh, than even the first time I did. And, and that's the power of covenant. It's not that infatuation, euphoric uh, feeling. It's much better. It is, I am, I am moved from just being in love and just to love. I am so overwhelmed. Um, again, uh, Keller in his book has this great analogy where he says, it's the difference between a loud, shallow brook versus a silent, deep river. And uh, I think that is a great picture of covenant. I mean, we live in a culture that worships the loud, shallow brook, the one-night stand. Uh, I mean, the, every romantic comedy ends when they get together, right? It's like, okay, story's over. Uh, but covenant is the story of a silent, deep river that carries with it way more force and power and beauty and refreshing and I believe that's God's heart for us. The third thing about covenant I wanted to touch on is this idea that covenant actions lead to emotions. And you might be like, wait, what? Are you trying to tell me that even when I don't feel it, I still have to love? And uh, no, I'm not saying that. But the Bible is definitely saying that. So I'm just quoting the Bible. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 5 is not commanding emotions. He's commanding actions. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, was doing a radio broadcast at the end of World War II where he was being asked a really hard question about loving your enemy. How, how do you love people that are, have hurt you? And he says this, Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. 
But whenever we do good to another self, just because it is a self made like us by God and desiring its own happiness as we desire our, our, ours, we shall have learned to love it a little more or at least dislike it a little less. Um, and, and I love this, these moments uh, within our own marriage. Um, and, and maybe you can relate with this, but there are times... Um, and within covenant, uh, that I do something, say something, don't say something, um, act selfishly, and I know immediately after I do it or say it that I deserve, um, uh, for lack of what better word, just just to be punished, right? Like I, I know it's coming. What I did was just awful, and whether that's the silent treatment or whether whatever it is, I'm just I'm like man, I totally have earned this. And then there's these moments where I, it, while embracing myself, um, Jen responds with grace. And they are some of the most powerful moments in our marriage where I'm like, I, I know I deserve to be in the doghouse and you have welcomed me back in, into this relationship. And it's, it's incredibly radical and disarming and powerful and humbling to receive that kind of love. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, says this, People get from books the idea that if you have married the right person, you may expect to go on being in love forever. As a, as a result, when they find they are not, they think this proves they've made a mistake and are entitled to a change, not realizing that when they have changed, the glamour will presently go out and the new love just as it went out of the old ones. I, th- I think this is profound, especially for those of us who maybe been in marriage a long time. And we live in a culture that worships the idea of being in love. And I would just highly encourage you and implore you that that will never last. What lasts is love, not infatuation. It is this continual choice to behave in a loving way when you feel like it, but especially when you don't. That's that's covenant. It's we continue to go back again and again. And if you're listening to this right now and you're like, man, I'm struggling, I, I would just I would ask you just to stop right now and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to say, even if I don't feel like it, love and and I strongly believe that those actions of love, and not just me, psychology, um, psychology would agree, that when we choose to live in that and act like that, it reinforces the emotional side of love. A uh, last sub-point of covenant I just wanted to make uh, before we end our podcast is uh, the great mystery of covenant. Why is the marriage covenant so powerful? And going back to Ephesians chapter 5, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That word united here, and again, if you had to notice, he's quoting Genesis chapter 2. The word united, or that word cleave in some of your Bibles, is the very first place we see covenant happen. It's this infusing, this gluing together that can never be separated. And it says, The two will become one flesh. Verse 34, Paul ends his talk on marriage saying this, This is a profound mystery. Uh, Anyone else? 
anyone else is thinking about really covenant, uh, man, there is this mystery uh, to it. And then he ends it by saying this, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Uh, Please hear me. Why is covenant so powerful? Because it's the way God loves us. He's promised himself to us. He not only has done that, he's given us a purchase price through the giving of his own life. He's promised himself to us through the seal of the Holy Spirit. And when in Romans we find that nothing can separate us from this love, do you, do you begin to sense the safety that exists within covenant? There's literally nothing you can do to outrun the power and the profound care that his covenant love has for you. And this is why marriage covenant is so powerful, because when the world looks at a husband and a wife who has seen each other at their worst, and yet they're the couple on the dance floor who, who's there last because they've been married for 57 years, and everyone stands to their feet and applauds, what they're applauding is the power of covenant. And that mystery according to Ephesians chapter 5, is talking about, it is a signpost to how Christ has loved us. So please hear me as we end this talk on marriage. Let's just take a pause and let's just talk about you. Do you realize that God loves you and has proven and promised that kind of love towards you? And when you receive that kind of love, everything changes. There's a safety and a security that exists within your walk with God that we can't find in any other human relationship, even within our greatest attempts within the covenant of marriage. It it shies away from the perfect covenant that Jesus has given to us. And my my prayer is is twofold um, as we end this podcast. Number one, and most importantly, if you do not know the powerful covenant love of Jesus Christ, would you pray right now to receive that? If you've lost sight of the covenant love, would you pray that be renewed in you? And secondly, would you just pray for your marriage or the marriage of your parents or the marriage of a friend that you have? Would we just begin to start praying over marriages that it would be found that this garden would have a soil, a rich soil of covenant in which roots can grow down, where seeds can be planted, but everything begins and ends with the idea of covenant. I'm just going to go ahead and pray and we will uh, conclude this podcast. Father, we thank you so much that covenant is not um, a sentence that you have given us. Lord, it, it is an invitation and an example that you gifted to us. Our Lord, I ask that every single person, whoever is listening to this, would be overwhelmed by just the power of your love. And God, we uh, receive that love. Holy Spirit, help us receive that love. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, One last uh, disclaimer. Um, If you are, are listening to this and you are in a marriage that um, biblically speaking is toxic and by toxic I mean either there's physical abuse there's unfaithfulness um, you need to know that there in, in the biblical 
since because of God's biblical covenant love towards you, uh, you are not asked to stay in an environment uh, where uh, you are, um, again, being hurt or being unfaithful to you. And, and if, if you are, if again, if you're in an abusive relationship, please uh, call the authorities and get out. If you've been in a relationship that's been unfaithful, um, I would encourage you just to pray. Again, I, I believe God's power of reconciliation um, but just know that those are moments where you can seek counsel within your pastoral care, um, within godly counsel of how to proceed in them. But other than that, we love you guys. Uh, grace and peace to you. Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsaniego.com. 